Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell, broadcasting from what is a about to become a very snow-covered nation's capital here in Washington, D.C. Joining me on the phone from the northern part of the Commonwealth of Virginia, he is the man that we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hello, Justin. Welcome back to town. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And also on the phone, he is the man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Daniel, hello. Hello, Justin. And I just got a breaking news alert on my phone that Stormy Daniels passed a polygraph. So apparently We're going to talk about that. Donald Trump doesn't make her needle move. <laughs> what, what, do you intend on using your, all of your Shecky Green stuff early, or are you going to try and spread it out throughout the show? Oh, I got more. Okay, figured. Okay. Oh, Let's, no. Um, oh, no. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not pretty, folks. It's, it's like watching a tra- It's like literally watching a bad train wreck. You just can't look away. Hey, uh, listen, in speaking of not looking away, we've got to talk about the ongoing uh, craziness that is going on inside what we call the Trump administration. But before we get to that, uh, it is yet again, we have to open up a show on a day that there is another school shooting. This time, the, uh, there was uh, minimal loss of life. Uh, at a high school in Great Mills, Maryland, which is about 50 miles outside of Washington, D.C. A very suburban area, kind of a rural area, but a big high school nonetheless. This high school in Great Mills, about 7.45 this morning, a student with a handgun opened fire and shot two other students uh, in a hallway in this high school. Luckily, the school resource officer on campus was happened to be in the right place at the right time. He discharged his firearm, uh, disabled the gunman. The gunman was taken to a hospital where the gunman was later pronounced dead. The gunman, in fact, another student at the high school. But the reason why I bring this up is this is now the uh, second time in over a month that we've had to open up and talk about a school shooting. I'm sure this is not going to be the last, but we had to get that out there. Um, Kudos to the school resource officer for just having to not only be there, but minimizing the loss of life and what could have potentially been a really tragic situation. So that's on the table. Let's get to the real breaking political news. Uh, Obviously everybody is still talking about what is 
fact, what in fact is going on in the Trump White House. Everything from the firing of Andrew McCabe. Now, for those who don't know, Andrew McCabe was the, at one time, acting FBI director back when Trump was first elected. Uh, He was a person that Trump sang his praises when he first took office. He was then, uh, uh, he was then, or he was the deputy director, then now acting director after the firing of Comey, was downgraded back to deputy director once Christopher Wray was confirmed in that position of FBI director. And with 24 hours left, I'm sorry, 26 hours left before he was to officially retire from a career, a dedicated career in U.S. law enforcement, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions fires the Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. Uh, He was fired, according to many reports, due to an Office of Inspector General and an Office of Professional Standards report, which said he was less than forthcoming, and that is a quote, while under oath regarding uh, an investigation into media leaks out of that agency. Deputy Director McCabe then came back and after his firing and issued uh, this statement, quote, here is the reality. I am being singled out and treated this way because of the role I played, the actions I took, and the events I witnessed in the aftermath of the firing of James Comey, unquote. He continued on the statement saying, quote, the release of this report was accelerated only after my testimony to the House Intelligence Committee revealed that I would corroborate former Director Comey's accounts of his discussions with the president. That is where we stand right now. It is a very tumultuous, it is a very uh, fluid situation regarding what is going on in the White House just on this aspect. And of course, there are tweets. The president has completed, has completely taunted uh, Deputy Director McCabe uh, on social media and then did so after the firing on Friday spent the weekend just taunting him about, amongst other tweets put out by the president. Uh, let's go deep into this. Let me start off with, uh, let, me start, let me start off with um, uh, Alan Moore. Alan, the question I have is, there are many that, we've heard many on the right and many backers of the president say, well, this had to happen. It was an internal process that did this. Uh, he was given, and now, you know, he made his bed, you, you reap what you sow. I mean, does this look like a legitimate personnel action from the Department of Justice? Well, it, the, it, 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 it looks like it could be. The problem, of course, is that it is the, whatever legitimacy there might be uh, at justice is completely overwhelmed, colored, swamped, blotted out by the completely inappropriate behavior of the president for quite a while. And then over the weekend, this is stomping on somebody, um, but, but leading up to it, by name, singling out a person who, who has served for uh, what, what appears to be a highly honorable uh, uh, career, 21 years uh, at the FBI. Now, there are two two different agencies of civil servants at the department who said we got problems here, and and that's real stuff. That's legit. What's not legit is for the president 
to personally get involved, intervene, push, uh, lean, lean hard on the attorney general and everybody else at the department. It happens, and there's a lot of a lot of focus on this that 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 McCabe had stepped aside back in January, used up annual leave and whatever other leave he had. He was waiting till he turned age 50 on Sunday, at which point he would be eligible for uh, to start collecting a, a decent pension. If he'd worked 10 more years, he would have had a much bigger pension. But he he could qualify. Um, right. For the for the FBI pension, as of he's, he's got his. So in other words, he's going to be drawn. He's going to be drawn a check right after he leaves that building. Right, right, and right, and right. that was his plan. It was known to be his plan, and so there, there's something particularly cruel, if you will, about uh, jumping in literally a, a day and a few hours ahead of that date. Having said that, you know, what if that would have been a month down the road or two months or three months? Um, the, the irony here is that, that he's not going to lose his pension. He's still got his 21 years. He's still entitled at, at, at some point, it seems likely that he'll be able to go work for a, a democratic politician on the Hill for a week or two, a day, a month, uh, and then uh, and then trigger the pension. It's a little unclear. It's, it's surprising to me that it's not clear because that was my immediate uh, guess as to to what would likely occur here. But what what's sad is the role the president played, the cruelty both before and after the decision was made. I'd love to see. The inspector general's report and the and the and the other re- report um, of professional oversight at the department to see what exactly it says because they're not. I mean, everybody's got some vulnerability to, to political pressure, but 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 those groups tend to operate pretty independently. So uh, it 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 strikes me that there's more here than than may meet the eye, and it also strikes me. That the president, by being so cruel, so cruel, and so inappropriate, when there's so much going on in the world that, that deserves his attention, so much more, he has he's made something of a martyr out of Mr. McCabe, who financially will come out, I I believe, way ahead, because he'll be able to write a book that people might buy. He'll be able to go give paid speeches. That wasn't the president's intent. It's just an ironic, likely right. extra outcome. Anyway, that's Dan. Yeah, Dan. Dan, what what strikes me as odd here is on the on the legality side. You know, knowing the bureau, knowing the agency at Department of Justice, uh, we know that the Office of Professional Standards, which is the internal affairs, if you will, for the FBI, did a report. It then. Uh, was also part of a concurrent report that was put out by the Office of the Inspector General, which is a completely independent organization separate from everything in DOJ. They are the truth body, if you will, inside the department. Um, Everybody I've talked to says, number one, that the Office of Professional Standards uh, can be politicized. If, if, uh, If the Attorney General calls up the head of OPS, and says, uh, yeah, you know, this really needs, you need to really crack down on this. They're, 
not politically uh, isolated from the organization. But the bigger issue that everybody has is that in a personnel issue like the firing of the deputy director, everybody I've talked to at the, at the FBI has said that normally those reports would have gone to Director Christopher Rett since it would have been a personnel action at the Bureau. If, if Ray had not signed off on the dismissal it, and they chose to escalate it, it would have then gone to the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who is Chris Ray's boss, and Chris Ray not signing it and Rod Rosenstein not signing it. Only then would the Attorney General be able to sign it, and even then that would have caused a problem because he's recused himself from anything involving the Trump investigations. Is there a smoke in this fire here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's more smoke here than than you can uh, shake a stick at, uh, and that stick is going to catch on fire if you do shake it at it. Uh, there's so much here, and I'm not an expert in civil service protection, but McCabe seems to have more than a bit of a claim to appeal uh, this this decision, in which case you now have the Trump team managing to get keep this in the news and getting relitigated over and over and over again. It's kind of amazing that the the folks within the Trump circle don't understand that these problems don't mysteriously go away uh, just because you did one one pretty. I mean, there's no other way of saying this. One pretty asshole move of taking this guy out hours before he's set to retire, which is crazy. And I agree with Alan. Absolutely downright cruel. Um, and you've you've successfully made a martyr martyr of him. Not to mention the insanity of the kind of conspiracy bouncing ball that you have to connect a just impossible connective set of dots to get to the president's claim that this proves there's no Russia collusion because McCabe wanted to continue investigating Hillary? What? Um, this whole thing is just crazy. Uh, but it's to be expected from this administration. Alan Moore, we you know we we we've heard the White House and the alt right come in saying that the FBI is part of a conspiracy to go after the president, which we're going to talk about that later. But uh, in this case, it was demonstrated that since Andrew McCabe's wife did in fact run for Congress in a uh, local race uh, here in the national capital region. Uh, and that he was part of the Hillary Clinton cabal that was out to destroy the president. Uh, It seems to me that if everybody looked out at his record regarding Hillary Clinton, he was not exactly a friend of Hillary or her campaign or her servers in Chappaqua. He was more uh, trying to get Hillary than protect her. Why would the president go after that and not disclose that as truth? Well, hard to know. Hard, hard to get into this guy's brain. Um, chances are 
he didn't ever really do the reading that, that would have been available to him on on what McCabe did and did not do. I mean, I don't I I, I don't think he was after Hillary, and I don't think he was after the pre, or, you know the, the the then candidate, the president uh, Trump, but now president. But but uh, uh, he was trying to do his job. Uh, believe it or not, America, <laughs> most people who work in the government. Uh, in the executive branch, really try to do that. Uh, you got some oddballs at the highest levels of of, of uh, political appointment that uh, that can depart from that. But this is a career FBI guy who moved up through the ranks, and um, uh, so he it doesn't mean he's incapable of making mistakes. It doesn't mean he's incapable of some level of misconduct. It's just that 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 it 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 doesn't fit. It it. Uh, uh so so the president remember is has a view of conspiracies anything that 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 involved Hillary Clinton at all and the federal government um the president is inclined to think that the federal government in uh that the government employees were trying to somehow help her even you know facts to the contrary notwithstanding don't his mind's made up, so don't confuse him with facts. Um, now, there's a second thing that was going on here, although he's been after McCabe for a while. But what was going on this last week, and kind of gave him uh, another reason to just jump all over um, McCabe, um, is. Uh, is the accusations relating to the president's personal behavior with Stormy Daniels. Change the subject. Change the subject. And when the president changes the subject and tweets out controversial news-making items, guess what? The press looks over there. Um, Now, that doesn't mean they're going to look over there for days or a week or a month. It's not as though Stormy Daniels is going away, and now there's a Playboy model uh, who had an alleged affair with the president for nine months, and she's also seeking uh, through a lawsuit to be able to tell her story. So the the president is not going to be able to hide from these questions about his personal behavior and relationships with women. Yeah, but Alan, Alan, yeah, but Alan. Alan, no, hold saying, on. These are people. To figure out. You're saying why? What's he thinking? I don't. Alan, know, but these I are people. Alan, these are people that have already given a pass. I mean, if you, at this stage of the game, we are talking about a president that, at most, and now I'm talking about a Rasmussen poll, which has been ungodly favorable to the president. At most, we're talking about a. 47% approval rating. At worst, you're talking about a president that has maybe a 28% approval rating, which is historically low. But either in that realm, this man is only talking to his base. That's the bottom line. His base has already given him a pass for Stormy Daniels, and they'll already give him a pass, and they're probably already going to give him a pass on this latest accusation coming from the Playboy model. I mean, what else does this guy have to get caught doing? We haven't, we have not heard the end of those stories. It's, it's apparently uh, this Sunday on 60 Minutes, we're going to all get to 
make up our own minds if we want to watch of when Stormy Daniels does a lengthy interview with Anderson Cooper. The story is the final words have not been spoken. So a pass so far, but it's not over. The president's doing his best to bury it. And he's pretty successful um, for burying things at least for a while. And in this case, it's some bad behavior and it strikes close to home. It comes right into the second floor of the White House, the family quarters. It's it's different than some of the other dumb things that this president uh, has done. So, and I don't know <laughs> what's going on in his mind. I'm just pointing out some of the things that are that are out there. The lingering, you know, concern that his election might have somehow been compromised, and his effort to to fight that um, and trigger even Trey Gowdy, who's been a you know, pretty, pretty supportive as much as he could be a member of the house caused him to say, Hey, lawyers to the president, tell your client if he's innocent to start acting like it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) The the more, the more you are out there yelling and screaming and complaining and accusing, the more guilty you look. And which by the way, about, you know about the narrow the, the narrow audience uh, that 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 he's uh, trying to keep on his side, but who else? He's not going to get anybody from the other side. So, uh, and there are parts of the country. You know, we, you're talking about nation, national data. There are a bunch of states who supported him, who still yeah. uh, uh, have a favorable view of him, and it creates right. interesting dynamics for Senate races coming up uh, this fall. Right, and by, and by the way, I, I do want to I do want to say something. It did my heart good. Apparently, the White House was leaking the fact that Ted Olson, the former Solicitor General under uh, President George H. W. Bush, uh, I'm sorry, under George W. Bush, who uh, who's played such an active role in some very key uh, judicial decisions, including uh, Bush uh, Bush v. Gore. Uh, including uh, several equal rights uh, and equal marriage rights equality. cases in front. Of, uh, I'm sorry. Marriage equality. Marriage equality. He was he was a key facet yeah. in the marriage equality uh, uh, case in front of the Supreme Court, giving gays the right to marriage and making it federal. Uh, he apparently was being leaked as a member of the Trump Defense Council team. Uh, it came out today from Ted Olson that he has uh, politely declined the invitation to join that team, which good job, Ted Olson. God, I love that guy. Uh, he is America's lawyer. Anyway, let's go back to this. And speaking of law, I want to talk to uh, Dan Lipner about this. Dan, we've heard about this NDA, and I want to stick with you for two questions. The first question I got for you is, number one, we, we hear about this NDA that Stormy Daniel signed. Uh, we've heard that the president did sign it. He did not sign it. Uh, he signed it under a, a nom de plume or a pseudonym. Uh, to me, this sounds really sketchy. And this should be a non-disclosure act that any third-year law student should be able to break through. What's making this so bulletproof? And why is Stormy Daniels' legal counsel so afraid of it? I'm not certain... They're that that afraid of it. She gave an interview with 60 Minutes, 
Um, and she's offered to give back the money, and I'm fairly certain she's going to make a small mint on the controversy by itself. Trump folks have the the more difficult road here. The fact that the that the president has a what is it, Dennis something or other is his 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 secret name that the contract is supposedly under the and he never actually signed the thing. And in addition to that, the monies are coming from a third party, not him, and the monies are not clearly associated with the contract. There are all sorts of problems with this. Uh, Stormy Daniels' only issue is the the supposed penalty if she breaks the the NDA, which might not be a ratified contract in the first place. You have to have exchange of consideration for it, and therefore you have to have the money associated with the contract. That would be the consideration. So, yeah, if she if she as I recall, the penalty is something like a million bucks if she talks about it. I'm fairly certain she'll make more than a million bucks uh, by talking about it. So. Uh, it's actually a million dollars each time. Her. They're talking about twenty million. Okay, well, twenty million bucks. Um, I think there are enough people that that hate Donald Trump that uh, will, will that will pony up money to make sure <laughs> her legal fees and costs go away. Uh, and and uh, Melania in in her divorce papers might actually throw some money in to make sure she testifies as well. So uh, (laughs) there there, there seems to be more than a handful of problems for Donald Trump there. And uh, Stormy Daniels, she can, you know, cash in in a zillion different ways uh, that that might actually make her needle move, whereas talking about Donald Trump clearly doesn't. Dan, by the way, the, the joke wasn't that good. The first time you used it, it's still not good. <laughs> the uh, Daniel, the, the other question I've got for you is: uh, It was also announced this week. Uh, the uh, several media uh, outlets were reporting, it, including the uh, Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal, that there are now requirements inside the White House that all employees working inside the White House have to sign a non-disclosure agreement that would cover the them after the Trumps leave office. And since that has, story has broken, it has also been reported that the ACLU, the American Lib- Civil Liberties Union, has filed a suit saying that it is not only uh, unethical, it's also illegal and unconstitutional. Is there any truth to that? I mean, could Donald Trump have everybody from the Rose Garden curator to uh the the chief the uh chief butler of the white house sign ndas like that and have it stick uh so i have one word for all of those people and that would be foia uh so <laughs> the answer is no you may not do that on top of that the, all of those people working in the white house uh with the Exception of Jared, Melania, uh, Ivanka. Uh, I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anyone else in the family out. 
but uh, they don't work for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not writing them a check. Their paychecks come from the U.S. Treasury. They work for us. They work for us at the pleasure of the president, but they don't work for him. So the, the, it's, no, you just can't do it. And there's no, there's no exchange of consideration. There's no way to contract around it. There's absolutely not. Um, unless you can – the only way around that is to say everything the president does or says is classified, um, which would be a creative way around things. But even then, the next president can simply declassify all of it. Uh, there, there simply is no there there. But it, it'll be mighty funny watching people try and make that legal argument because there is absolutely no substance to it. Uh, Alan Moore, when we hear stories like that, that just kind of goes towards uh, you know the, these these stories that we hear about the president being paranoid and and overly uh, I don't even know what the right word is overly burdened with the idea that. Uh, everybody's out to get him. I mean, this makes Ray- Richard Nixon look stable. Well, <laughs> what 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 it it appears as though Trump is trying to do in the federal government, uh, or at least in the White House, um, what he did in his own company. Apparently, people who worked in the Trump Organization routinely have to sign non-disclosure agreements. It was hard for me uh, to, to, to understand is how his counsel, for example, would, would advise, yeah, you can do this. My hunch is that what might have happened is that they said, you can, you know, we're, we're, I'm not going to say you can't do it, but I don't think it will hold up and have any legal merit. And then, then the, I could see the president saying, "Well, fine, but let's see if those people want to deal with a lawsuit. Um, and maybe we'll lose all the lawsuits, but we can we can bankrupt them on the way." So, it, it, I I don't, you know, I I, I certainly what? defer to, to to Dan on on what what the law might be, but it's not as though a signed agreement um, has no meaning and no potential exposure for a person who signed and then chose to go out and talk about it. I just, I just don't know. Yeah, but, but here's the question. Here's the question I have is, you know, for a president that is concerned about optics, uh, the optics of this certainly do not look good. Uh is 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 this just a continuing pattern? Because to me, it sounds like that if 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 the president had gone to House Counsel Don McGahn or talked to Chief of Staff General John Kelly, I I knowing them, I would believe that they would probably recommend against putting out an NDA for all employees to sign. Uh, this continues to show a pattern of the president's basically making these calls on the fly, just basically thinking he can run the White House and the government like he did a privately held company. Uh, is, is there anybody that can get to him and say, look, we've really got to sit down and act like grownups in this position? I think the answer to that is demonstrably no. Um, there are a lot of people 
who get his ear for a few minutes, and sometimes, as he has made clear, he likes to get people in the room to to argue in front of him, and he can listen to both sides and make up his mind. But uh, the the people who have the greatest impact on him are reportedly those who talk to him last because he's subject to changing his mind. And, but beyond that, there's no single force that can go in again and again and say, right. Mr. President, you can't do this. Occasionally, right. supposedly, uh, Don McGahn, the, the council, White House counsel, uh, said to the president at one point many, many months ago when he was told that he had to go uh, go fire – who was he going to fire? Sessions, Mueller – I don't know. So I can't even remember now. And he said, Mr. President, if you make me do that, I won't do it. I'll have to resign. Right. So right. That's not a card you can play too many times with Donald Trump. I, we're not even absolutely certain, even though it was right. fairly widely reported. Um, you know, Gary Cohn supposedly had said, or you know, uh, that that if the if the tariffs were that the president was talking about for a year plus were actually imposed, then he, Cohn, would probably have to resign. So, again, how much did he say ahead of time? Did that help hold the president off for a period of time? At the end of the day, the president was like, I'm doing the tariffs. If you have to go, go, and kind of teased him a little bit, you know, in in the last cabinet meeting. So, there is nobody, and I am assuming that's true in the second floor of the White House. I'm true, thinking it's true with his family, with his sons, with his daughter, with his son-in-law. I think they all have some influence and some ability, and they probably know when to step in, when to step back, and they know you got to be last. Um, but uh, but uh, in, in this case, it's one of those areas where, where, where the president has been pretty consistent, therefore likely honest, which is a rarity with this president when he says, I make my own decisions. Right. And joining us from what sounds like she might be in Penn Station or Grand Central Station up in New York City, she is Sharmila Chari. Hey, Sharmila, thanks for joining us. Hey, Justin. Hey, Alan. How are you guys? Uh, well, thanks, thanks for joining us. Hey, Sharmila, you know, we've Wait, been talking about... Hello, geez, man. <laughs> Good grief! <laughs> so sensitive. Are you still on? So man? sensitive. So sensitive. Hey, Sharma, as we were talking about the the president here, I, I'd like to get your take on uh, the the legal standing here regarding uh, what's happening with 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 this NDA and with Stormy Daniels and her upcoming uh, her upcoming. Uh, uh, interview with Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes on CBS this Sunday. Is is this something? Is the president slowly digging himself a deeper hole, not just legally, but from an optics standpoint, when it comes to how he's handling the Stormy Daniels issue? And is he putting the White House in some sort of legal exposure of having a problem with all of the wrangling that he's doing from the Oval Office? Well, so until about a week ago, I would have said the president has actually been playing this well for once, right? He hasn't engaged. He hasn't responded. He hasn't tweeted, and which is you know, a refreshing change of pace for him. 
So I would say up until recently, he had been handling it the way he should have. Things have gone off the rails since uh, the new reporting about all the maneuvers. His attorney, his Trump organization attorney, Michael Cohen, has been engaging in. And it's, it's also important to note that it's unclear the relationship currently between Donald Trump, the individual, and Michael Cohen, the attorney. Right. Michael Cohen is technically acting as a rep- the attorney and representative of the Trump organization. He is not listed as Donald Trump's personal attorney, which is a key difference, right, especially when you're talking about attorney-client privilege. But with all the reporting that's coming out about the, the secret restraining order that Michael Cohen has had obtained against Stormy Daniels and now his claim that the Trump organization or Donald Trump – is owed $20 million for this breach, you know, potential breach of the NDA. Yes, it's, it's a disaster in terms of optics. Any, any NDA, and frankly any contract, is only good as the, its ability to enforce and the willingness of the parties to enforce it. Right, So you would think that Stormy Daniels here has the leverage because the President of the United States, in, in, an, in a normal world, and not in the bizarre world we're living in, but in a normal world, the president of the United States would never think to actually enforce an existing NDA against a adult film actress who is talking about an extramarital affair that this NDA was meant to silence, right? That just from an optics standpoint would be a train wreck. It would be much smarter for him to allow her to say whatever she wants and then come out and say fake news. That's all he has what, to say. Dan Lipner, what and so, possible? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to conclude. So at the end of the day, I think that, yes, he is engaging in a, in a poorly thought out legal strategy. And whether or not he puts the White House in danger is going to depend on whether or not he tries to rope in any of the current White House officials to cover for him or even worse, lie for him under oath. So it, it, it is yet to be seen if he'll, if he'll stoop to that level. And Dan Lipner, looking at uh, or just following off of what Sharmila was saying, it, it, it strikes me that uh, the, the the president here, um, it, you know, what? I just lost my train of thought. You know what? It's been a long week. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, I will come take back to you. I, I, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's take a break. We're, when we come back, we're going to talk about another subject that will bleed into this. We're going to talk about the uh, Mueller investigation and how they have now gone inside the Trump organization with some subpoenas. We'll talk about that and other things when we come back. This is Backroom Politics Live from the National Capital Region in Washington, D.C. On Blog Talk Radio, we'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. Thank you. 
Live on Blog Talk Radio from Washington, D.C. and points beyond. We're going to continue our discussion. Joining me as they do every third, as they do every Tuesday, uh, Sharmila Achari, Dan Lipner, and the Honorable Alan Moore. Hey, let's talk a little bit as we continue on with the discussion, uh, all the chaos going on inside the Trump administration. What seems to be happening and what seems to have been the line in the sand for Donald Trump has now been crossed by special counsel Robert Mueller. Uh, last week on Friday, the special counsel issued subpoenas for uh, the Trump organization. Uh, the attorneys have provided, Trump's attorneys have provided the special counsel's office with written descriptions that chronicle key moments under in the investigation in hopes of in curtailing the scope of any sort of interview or subpoena ability by the special counsel. But this is now getting into very deep into Trump land now. Uh, let me start off, Sharma, with you. Why should this scare the president, or does the president really have anything he should be concerned about? Well, I think by his own statements, he has things that he needs to be concerned about, right? He, as you said, Justin, he repeatedly said that a red line would be for Trump to look into his family and by extension, his company's finances. And now uh, Robert Mueller has subpoenaed the the Trump organization's finances, you know, I think in, especially with, uh, with an angle to see their, you know, the extent of their financial transactions with Russia and Russian entities. So I think, right, to the extent that the president has been involved in shady dealings or to the extent that he hasn't documented all of his dealings properly or hasn't paid taxes on these transactions or just hasn't been fully compliant with the law, which I think knowing Donald Donald Trump's history of trying to cut corners and trying to kind of to um, to get away with paying the least amount of taxes as possible is is very likely. So I think that there is a strong likelihood that, you know, all is not well with the state of his finances and his legal compliance. And so, yes, he definitely has something to be worried about. Alan Moore, it seems to me that this is just another issue that the Trump White House is 
it's not just a distracting. It, it's affecting the operation. It's affecting morale. It's affecting the president's ability to be effective both domestically and globally. Uh, this subpoena going to the Trump administration or to the Trump organization combined with new stories coming out about Jared Kushner and possible fraud implications on his New York City housing reporting is, is, is are we getting to a critical point where any concern about the Russia meddling or the collusion that's now so far on the back seat the bigger problem is the illegal business dealings and possible criminal exposure for those inside the administration. I mean, <laughs> by definition, every day closer to the end. We don't know when that end is. Um, the president's lawyer at one point uh, predicted it would be done by Thanksgiving and then by Christmas and then by early this year, uh, spring is upon us. Um, the, the the thing that's really hard to know is is what all Mueller knows. Yeah, we're losing Alan. It sounds like. Really? Yeah. Oh, there um, we go. Yeah, you're back. Huh? I didn't move, but uh, <laughs> must be the snow. Um, so <laughs> uh, it 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 seems that. That my understanding was that the so-called red line that the president uh, was was putting out there was if they go spading around in uh, uh, in the Trump uh, organization finances um, or even the president's personal um, tax returns, et cetera, um, it was always, I think, expected, and this is what has been done so far as we know, that they would be looking at. The, the financial connections between the Trump organization and Russia. And it's what's been reported is that that's what the subpoena is focused on. Um, if they have that data and, and, and choose to, uh, to produce it, then, uh, uh, then we'll just keep moving forward. Um, I don't know. We, we, you know, they don't share these subpoenas, the, the information of the subpoena itself, we're pretty sure we could be pretty sure does not come from the Mueller uh, investigation, but comes from other sources who who want to use it uh, to their advantage. I don't believe the president has tweeted about this yet. So he it, it sounds like or it would appear that he's still assessing the situation, trying to figure out what do they want, what's involved in providing it, what's in there if we do provide it, do we want to resist? Uh, until we choose, until we make that decision, let's be quiet about it. Unusual for the president to be quiet in the midst of a storm, but uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's that's where we are at the moment on that one. Dan Lipner, are we are we getting to the point where this investigation with Robert Mueller has continued on for a substantial long amount of time, I and mean, we're talking over a year into a presidency that's only lasted just less than 16 months. Is it, is it now fair to make at, at least the observation that the longer this continues and the more paper that Mueller continues to put out, more and more likely we could see legal problems for not just the White House and the administration, but for Trump personally? 
Yeah. I mean, how many people have already pled guilty thus far? Um, so there's – Mueller's already found stuff. So the, the only – it seems reasonable that he's, there's more to be found. And on top of that, since the president being the worst criminal ever uh, is basically saying, listen, officer, you can look any place except in the trunk of my car. The, the body is definitely not in the trunk of my car. You can't look there. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's basically what he said from the beginning, which is kind of incredible, but that's been the nature of the beast, including to his tax returns, mind you. So who knows if he's tried to write off any any other payoff to uh, whatever other porn stars he's, he's been hanging out with. But on that note, I just want to kind of pose one question. Presidents have any friends? And I mean that sincerely, considering that he needs to get documentation for people to contract around not betraying him. Uh, does he have anyone at all that he doesn't need to paper the file to make sure that they will be loyal to him? Does he have any friends whatsoever? Just one. I mean, well, I'm that's also awesome. interesting. So it's, it's not. Where is that friend? Yeah. Well, I think Sharmala what's Charing. interesting about that. I was going to say what's interesting about that is that I mean I agree with Dan, but I think it's it's not just about you know he has no friends and he can't trust anyone, but this also reveals sort of the pettiness of Donald Trump that he also doesn't want people to profit off of him, right? Part of the reason that he wants these NDAs is because he doesn't want anyone to be able to write a book about their time in the White House and make money off of him which is very sad and kind of worse than having no friends. You don't even want to allow the people who worked hard for you to, to get a reward at the end of the day. It's, it's almost like he's the anti-friend. <laughs> you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, but, but Charlotte, while I've got you on the line, you, you know, we're looking at um, – uh, uh, yesterday, uh, the Trump administration brought on uh, the former U.S. Attorney Joseph DeGeneva uh, to join his legal personal team, and that was at the same time that there was speculation that, and it was being leaked by the White House that uh, Ted Olson would also join the team. But when you look at somebody, when you look at bringing on somebody like Joseph DeGeneva, who is a who, who is known to be kind of an over-the-top, in-your-face you know, bar brawling type litigator. Uh, is, is this, a, I mean, are, are these little signs that we're seeing out of the Trump white house saying that, all right, we might be up against the ropes if they're bringing in that kind of big talent. Well, again, I think the the fact that he likes brash, hard hitting people is not, is, is very common to the president's style, you know, CEG, Anthony Scaramucci, but I think that the fact that he's just beefing up his legal team generally and that he's bringing in these people with reputations for pushing back and for, you know, really tough-nosed tactics indicates that he's not just worried about the battle in the courts, but he's also much more now going on the offensive in the media. And I think you've seen that, right, with his uh, increased – the increased tenor of his attacks on Robert Mueller and his defending his despicable decision to fire Andrew McCabe. And so I think that, you know, the president – very smartly has always understood that the media is the sort of primary battlefront for all of these 
for all these conflicts. And so I think that it, it's more indicative that you're going to hear more and more about this from his side in the media. He has, again, been sort of unnaturally quiet on both the Mueller investigation and the Stormy Daniels investigation, and I think that era is over. But Alan Moore, it also seems that, you know, when we look at the longer and longer this Mueller investigation goes, we, you know, we, we look at the tweets that uh, the president put out on Sunday. For example, one tweet says, why does the Mueller team have 13 hardened Democrats, some big crooked Hillary supporters and zero Republicans? Another Dem recently added, does anyone think this is fair? And yet there is no collusion. Nobody obviously has told the president that, number one, Robert Mueller is a huge Republican or has been a loyal Republican all his life. Uh, And number two, that out of everybody involved in that tweet, the people in the special counsel's office and Donald Trump, Donald Trump has given more money to Democrats than anybody in the special counsel's office. Uh, it almost seems that there's a lack of there's a lack of realization of what's really happening in the world. Uh, I, 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 when we look at, for example, Pew Charitable Trust put out uh, recently a uh, the question was, do you have confidence that the Mueller uh, special counsel team will conduct a fair investigation? According to this survey, 61% of Americans feel that they're confident that it will be an honest and fair investigation. 37% of Americans felt not confident that it would be a fair investigation. Is this indicative that we're starting to see that American voters might be coming to the sense of reality that this president is a problem, this president may not be around in the next year or two? Well, that's two different questions. Um, I think that even among the people who like him, um, uh, and they continue to stand by him, so there's sort of two groups of Trump supporters. The the, the group that, that loves the hard-ass, in-your-face, over-the-top, threatening Donald Trump style. It's, yes, about time. Um, call it Call it as it is. We like we we like that. It's almost like what the Russians say about Putin. We like him because he's tough, because he's strong. The thing about 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 President Trump is he may be tough and he may be strong. He's also stupid, and and that is what causes other people in the Trump orbit to say, "I like the guy. I support the guy, but I wish he would put his phone away." Cut with the tweets, cut with the nastiness, um, stay focused on the things that he said he was going to do, because that's what a lot of us are relying on. We felt ignored by Democrats. We thought, here's a guy who's going to pay attention, and he's got a mixed record. He could probably do better, so they would think, if he would stay focused just on that uh, and not break all the China uh, in, in the dining room. So, so that's who he's speaking to. Um, it's not that he's unaware of the fact that there, there are other voices. He doesn't seem to hear a lot of them if he's getting up each day and watching only Fox and Friends and surrounds himself with a bunch of yes people. Um, it's not clear 
how much he hears the other side, but he hears it. He even hears right. it from in, in, in quiet meetings from you know people on Capitol Hill and so on. They say, Mr. President, we, we want to support you, but this this is a problem over here. This when right. you say this, here's what what how it makes our lives complicated. And and he gets that kind of private counsel to some unknown degree, and then he he appears to just say, yeah, never mind. Um, now, who can we beat up next? Is, is are we going to start seeing possibly just a a, a numbness from the American electorate about this stuff? That you know. We've always said on this show that, okay, the, the economy's going well. We haven't seen any sort of uh, uh, breaks in the armor as far as the economics go from the Trump White House. Trump has gotten himself surrounded, particularly with the addition of Larry Kudlow as the chief economic advisor with some pretty smart guys when it comes to the economy. Is it a matter of as long as there's money in my pocket – I really don't care what this guy does. And I'm going to go to you, Sharmila, for that first, and then to you, Alan. Well, yeah, I think you're already seeing the numbness, and I think it's exacerbated by the fact that Republican leadership, I'm going to call them out, have not reacted to any of his breaches of norms and protocols, right? Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan to a lesser extent, but both have been largely silent on his breaching of all these norms, his kind of flagrant um, blaming and going after law enforcement agencies, all these just, and his attacks on institutions that form kind of the rule of law and that form our democracy. They have, you know, Republicans have stayed silent and that makes people think that this is okay, right? The sort of quote unquote liberal media can scream up and down that this is not normal and this is unprecedented and we've never seen anything like this before. But if both sides are in agreement that this type of behavior is not normal, then yeah, you are going to see that numbness setting in. And I don't think it's just, I think it's somewhat unrelated to the state of the economy. Obviously the fact that we have a good economy is, you know, put the wind at Donald Trump's back. But I think that, you know, even if economic conditions were to deteriorate, you'd still have this kind of numbness and this sort of, well, I guess no one's saying anything, so I guess it's okay type of type of mentality amongst amongst the electorate. Alan Moore. Well, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time uh, on this show talking about what <laughs> what we unelected people should do, what 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 we unelected people have in terms of advice for people who do have to run for election every two years or every six years. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of years in the Senate and I, I have, uh, <laughs> it, it broadened my knowledge significantly and gave me a lot of humility about, about how distressed to be when, when elected officials who are going to be up for election again, uh, don't do what I think they should do. Um, and, and I, and I also acknowledge when somebody like, like Ryan over the weekend through a spokesman, through a spokesperson said, you know, had a, had a gentle pushback to the president's comments about, uh, about Mueller, um, uh, Mitch McConnell has, uh, has 
not this weekend. He's been silent so far unless he said something um, uh, in the over the course of today, which he might have because they have the regular Tuesday lunch, and he might have come out and said something and might have probably said, folks, we're trying to keep government going um, by uh, by this Friday night, and that, that's where our focus is, where it needs to be. Um, on other occasions, uh, he has, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's been cautious, but firm on occasion in, in his own pushback. So I'm not, I, I'm not willing to say, yeah, they're the guys who are enabling the president. The ones who enable the president are the ones, it, the demon in his head and the people around him, the supporters, the, a lot of the Trump, uh, news folks and then of course the economy nothing like having a gangbusters economy to say we're doing something right and that's what people want more than anything and hey that's me that's my doing even though those who are honest will acknowledge that well presidents make some difference but they don't begin to make all the difference uh, they don't deserve all the credit nor all the blame when things are going great or things aren't um, this is a president we spend so much time trying to figure out, and yet we're all basically babes in the woods without a clue as to what motivates this guy because we're so used to dealing with, with sane, rational people who have real experience, curiosity, foreknowledge, some sense of the legislative process, and we're dealing with somebody who not only doesn't have any of that experience, doesn't think he needs it doesn't want to hear about it, wants to go his own way, and and uh, has enough people around him to say, well, okay, let's go. Um, I just, so Alan, you know, we've, that's, we, we've made it that's a year, because... and, you know, we have all these people <laughs> praying we'll make it another, and then another. We'll see what happens in the election, where we'll probably end up with a, a Democratic House, remains to be seen, and maybe Senate, who knows. Um, and then... Uh, and the president will be attacking whoever uh, – well, he'll probably be attacking leaders of both parties then because he'll have the – If it, let's say it's a Democratic House and a Republican Senate, then he can a- attack um, whoever replaces Nancy Pelosi because I have a feeling she won't be the next Democratic leader. I could be wrong. Uh, and you know, Mitch McConnell, who I do expect to be the next Republican leader, whether majority or minority um, – and he can attack them all with impunity, right. and he'll have that shrinking so, group of America that says, "Yes, you tell him, Mr. President." So, so I think go it's ahead, because I, I think we I think we do know what motivates the president. I think he's primarily motivated by ego, greed, and malice. Right? His primary motivations are, you know, stroking his own ego, pumping up the legend of Donald Trump, and making sure that he gets credit for everything. Two, you know, can I make money off of this? And three, how can I screw the person who whether truly or in just in this perception, how can he screw the person that screwed him? So I, I think that it's, you know, these are not the motivations that should motivate a president of the United States, right? You would think that they'd be more motivated by honor, integrity, a sense of duty, patriotism, things like that. But so I think Alan is right that, you know, we don't know, we don't have a measure against past presidents about what motivates him, but I think it's very obvious what motivates him. Right, right. Well, we're, we're going to uh, – obviously, this is not a story that's going away anytime soon. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back after the top of the hour, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, – in case you didn't know it, because there is so much going on 
in case you didn't know it, we run out of money on Friday. We've got a government shutdown, possibly. We're going to talk about that and all of the nuances associated with that. And how does this look for the Republicans now that we're staring down the barrel of a possible second shutdown, but a third and fourth go around with bumping our head against that ceiling? This is Backroom Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in three minutes. Please stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. Politics. 
And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I am your host, moderator, Justin Russell, and joining me as they do every Tuesday. From New York City, Sharmal Achari from Northern Virginia in the National Capital Region. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hey, uh, real quickly, before we go on to the government shutdown, there's a couple of things I did want to bring up. NBC is reporting, Alan Moore, that Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, they're quoting Senator Graham of South Carolina, the Republican, as saying that if the president were to fire Robert Mueller, he is facing, quote unquote, certain impeachment. Do you agree with the senator on that? Well, you know, what he what I heard him say, uh, I hadn't seen the impeachment uh, line, but but I what, what he what he said on a talk show on Sunday was it would be uh, it would be the beginning of the end for his presidency. Um, and. Uh, uh, you, everybody knows that I'm a big fan of Lindsey Graham, um, and I <laughs> I don't know if he's right. You know, I, I I think he might be right, but I you can't tell. You you it, 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 it's interesting to play out in one's mind what would have to happen for uh, for Mueller to get fired. Um, Sessions would not be able to do it because he's recused and I think that would be, and we could argue about whether his recusal should have prevented him from firing McCabe because McCabe's firing offenses didn't have to do with Russia, but had to do with really the Hillary Clinton investigation. But anyhow, um, uh, it wouldn't be sessions and then it would go to, to, uh, to Rosenstein and who, who would say, I'm guessing I can't do that, Mr. President. I hired Mueller and he has done everything we have asked him to do. I couldn't do it. I would have to resign. And then it, it's, 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 it's sort of echoes of Watergate when Elliot Richardson had hired Archibald Cox. Nixon ordered him to fire Cox. He said, Mr. President, he's done everything we asked. I can't fire him. I'd have to resign. And the president, I, I say the president, it was, it was his, his, his chief of staff, Bob Haldeman, said, well, sorry, uh, next. And then he talks to the deputy who was Bill Ruckel's house, and, and he said, can't do it. Um, <laughs> And then they turned to poor old Robert Bork, who was the Solicitor General, and Richardson and Ruckelshaus begged Bork, who wanted to resign too, not to, to go ahead and, 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 and fire Cox because the department couldn't be decimated at the top. And then Bork was hammered for that when he had a Supreme Court nomination. Right. I can't right. help seeing the parallels in this particular case. Sessions says, I'm recused. Rosenstein Stein says, I can't do it. He's my guy. Then, then you're to the solicitor general, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, who might say yes, might say no. Um, and, and, uh, and then you all hell breaks loose when somebody finally says, Mueller, you're out. Um, and we go through a constitutional crisis and name somebody to replace Mueller. We got Leon Jaworski when, when, uh, when Archibald but, Cox was fired, and how'd that work out for the president? Right, but so, Alan Moore, I mean, do you foresee really a situation where, you know, Jeff Sessions refuses, because he's recused, 
Jeff Sessions refuses, he gets fired. Rod Rosenstein, we know, will refuse. He gets fired. I mean, does this go all the no, way he as you get, said? No, no, he doesn't recuse. I don't, he doesn't recuse. He, it, 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 Sessions is recused, so he's, he's, he's clear. Rosenstein doesn't recuse. He just no, says, no, Rosenstein, I couldn't do it. I'd have to resign. Would, but he has already said that he will not fire – he would resign rather than fire Mueller. Right, but, I mean, so, right. No, exactly. That's not a recusal. That's all no, no, no. What I, no, what I what I said was we have a recusal from Sessions. Rod Rosenstein has already said that he would resign rather than fire. I mean, you're talking about going all the way I, down to Ben Bristow, the Solicitor General, as you pointed out. And even if Ben Bristow, ben Bristow we we believe would not do it, we could be getting career GS15s as the new Attorneys General. You know, I don't, I, I don't know how far down it would go. I it would, I, I don't know what the solicitor general would do. I mean, there is this sense of, of duty that people have of keeping the place open and running and operating and and so on. Um, and and, uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, it, it, and the irony here is you've still got an attorney general, who is serving, who just right because of his recusal can't do it. So, right. and, and I only talk about that because it's not like just you make a phone call and say, get this done. It's like, well, who's going to do it and what are the other ramifications? And that's why it's sort of this all, hell's, all hell breaks loose. Um, and, and even, you know, there's, there's various people on the Hill among Republicans who've said, Mueller's doing his job just today. Orrin Hatch said uh, that would be the dumbest thing that a president could ever do. Um, right. I mean, it's there's there's plenty of sentiment up there that it would just be a disaster, and I think the Republicans would would feel like they couldn't, you know, they can <laughs> they can turn a blind eye to a lot of sins. Um, I think, and I think this is what what Lindsey Graham is warning, and other people are saying, yeah, we wouldn't be able to turn a blind eye to that one. John right, Cornyn right. today said something. Uh, of the sort. So there's the, there's a lot here that that, uh, uh, that the president seems to have at least some understanding of. Sharmila, I mean, do you agree with uh, Senator Graham? I mean, if if in fact the Trump administration does fire the special counsel, we're gonna see impeachment. Again, I think it depends on the spine of the GOP majority, if the GOP is in the majority when it happens, right? If he chooses to fire him after November 2018, who knows? Yes, that could be absolutely true. But I think it, you know, given the current composition of the Congress, I don't know. I think, you know, I don't really agree with most of what Lindsey Graham says, but God bless him for trying to protect the rule of law. So I think that it, it really will depend on how the um, – how the November elections shake out and, and how, um, how willing both parties are to stand up to sort of reckless disregard for our norms, our laws, and our institutions. Right. Uh, we got a question in from a uh, – we got an email question in from a listener in Boston. A uh, listener asked the question – if the Democrats do, in fact, take either or both houses of Congress, is impeachment a guarantee? Sharma, I'll start with you this one. 
Not a guarantee. Certainly, much more likely. Again, it's right. These two, th the the Mueller investigation and the midterm elections, are incredibly interconnected. So, the Demo some Democrats may think that they have enough evidence currently against the president in terms of his sort of shady financial dealings or his habitual, you know, alleged sexual abuse of women or you know, sexual harassment of women. Um, some some members of the Democratic Party feel that there's enough there in his, you know, in his current pro provable actions, both, you know, in the present time and in the past to bring impeachment proceedings. I think more cautious Democrats will wait to see evidence of truly serious crimes, whether it's financial misdeeds or obstruction of justice or something very tangible that comes out of the Mueller investigation, especially I think those Democrats that represent Trump-leaning jurisdictions like Joe Manchin from West Virginia or Heidi Heitkamp from uh, North Dakota or John Tester from Montana. So I think it really will depend on what the Mueller investigation digs up because I don't think that the majority of Democrats are willing to go forward with impeachment proceedings on some kind of spurious or, you know, no pun intended, trumped up charges that don't really rise to that level. I think you're going to have to see really tangible evidence of criminal misdeeds. Alan Moore, you agree with Sharma? Well, I'm not sure what her reference to the senators was um, because an impeachment proceeding would start in the House. And if the Democrats take the House, I think you will see some new hearings, um, uh, hearings into uh, the, the specific behaviors of the president, which have been controversial and which the Republicans uh, have simply chosen not to investigate. You start you would start with hearings. And start well. You wouldn't start. You might not start with hearings because by the time we have a, a, a Democratic House, which is no sooner than January of next year, we'll know it in November. Um, by then, I hope we will have had the Mueller investigation completed. No guarantees, but hopefully. And and whatever is there is going to be key to what the House would choose to do vis-a-vis -vis impeachment. It, it doesn't have to depend on that, but if, if Mueller has got unindicted co-conspirator activities and a, and a host of behaviors that, that uh, really do implicate the president, um, uh, then, then you can guarantee that that would be the focus. There's, there's, it's a target-rich environment to at least have some hearings and make the president crazy uh, and angry and so on, but it, it, it's hard for me to see right now something that, uh, that the Democrats would rally around as, uh, as, a, as a high crime and misdemeanor worthy of an article of impeachment, which would simply require – uh, a majority, but it, there's no guarantee that uh, that they that they would get it. If they did get it, then it would go to the Senate, where there would be a trial. Whoever is in in charge of the Senate, uh, Republicans or Democrats, would then have to uh, to carry out that process, and that takes two thirds vote to convict. So. People throw around the impeachment word without remembering what it actually means, uh, what's involved past the House and the trial in the Senate. Right. It's a very right. – it's a, it's a steep, steep hurdle to get all the way there. 
but but it 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 would it would almost seem likely though judging from you know and and this is assuming that we do have before uh before November's ele- uh, midterm elections that we should have an idea of where the uh special counsel's office in the current state of the investigation, if not a final result out of the investigation, which would be better for the president, uh, Alan Moore, a closed down report issued from Mueller or have it wait till after the midterm election? Well, <laughs> that you're, you're thinking, I know what's in it. Um, <laughs> it, it, uh, if it's if it's a report that that says we find no collusion, but we find some misbehavior here and here and here and here, and we are going to bring some additional charges against some other people, like just as a for instance, Jared Kushner. I'm not predicting that, but I'm just thinking about something that would that would that would would bother the president enormously. Um, it would, but 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 leave him out of the at least the accusation uh, of collusion. Um, with Kushner, it would be he tried to collude, but he couldn't pull it off. So, uh, but we got him on some other stuff. Um, on the other hand, if if it's if it's going to implicate the president on, let's say, obstruction of justice or collusion, um, then you'd want that after the election. You wouldn't want that in the election mix. Um, so, it it really depends on what the content is. People will pay attention. Charmela. So I, I agree with Alan, right? It's it's really going to depend on what the Mueller investigation discovers. Uh, to Alan's point, if if they do come up with some tangible evidence of collusion, yeah, then you know that's going to that obviously you know would be much more detrimental to the president if it comes out prior to the midterms. If they discover evidence of you know no collusion, but to Alan's point, some other you know, misbehavior, criminal or otherwise, then eh, the impact might be a little muted. Obviously, if they exonerate him completely, then you would want that news to come out prior to the midterms. But it, right. it, it's so you, – you can't make a prediction without knowing kind of what – without even sort of a preview of what is, is, is in the Mueller – is in Mueller's files already. You know, it's the, that investigation has been so closely monitored and – so tight tested and the, the lack of any leaks or any clue to any of us, you know, cognoscenti about what's in it just shows you how predict- unpredictable this could end up being. Wow. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we do this? We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, not only about the government shutdown, we're going to talk about the Connor Lamb win from last Tuesday in the special, uh, the special election in Pennsylvania 18th district. Uh, for those of you who are hoping to hear about the deep state, our discussion on exactly what is the deep state, I think we're going to bump that till next week because uh, if you are a full-blown conspiracy theorist that believes in this crap, then as you know, the deep state's not going everywhere. They're not going anywhere because they are everywhere. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, government shutdown and Connor Lamb on the best political talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio from your nation's capital here in Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. (laughs) 
political talk show you've never heard of it is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Monterey, Justin Russell. Joining me as I do every Tuesday for a very intimate show today is Sharmila Achari and Alan Moore. I want to talk real quickly about a couple items that are coming up this week that hasn't gotten a lot of press coverage because there's so much other craziness going on here in uh, the U.S. But joining us on the line, let's got a caller already for the last segment. Joining us from the 469 area code, you're on the air with Backroom Politics. What's your question? My question is, how can you guys possibly do a show without me? Oh, it's Admiral Ken Carradine. <laughs> Admiral Ken. <laughs> uh, good, good hearing from you, Admiral Ken. He is, he not, is the one Not sorry. very well. That's how we can do it. Not very well. <laughs> uh, I apologize for my extreme tardiness. I was uh, uh, on a, another assignment, if you will. Ah, uh, we hear you. We 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 know how that goes, Admiral. Hey, uh, listen, we, we there was so we were just coming into our final segment. We've got so much we got to talk about, but a couple of stories that have been kind of buried under the carpet this week is, in case you don't know it, the government runs out of money at midnight on Friday again. Uh, there is talk that uh, the House, which was supposed to vote today on a measure, did not. Uh, and with the possible government shutdown due to weather here in the national capital region tomorrow, it's going to be hard pressed to get some stuff done and see something happen between now and midnight on Friday. Alan Moore, are we looking at another weekend wonder 
government shutdown. Well, we we're looking at the possibility of one. I you know back a couple of months ago when we had the last dance, the last government shutdown uh, out on out out on the edge of the cliff. Um, we had the shutdown that wasn't because uh, it was a few hours in the night on a weekend and nobody stayed home from their job. Um, and so it was a, it, it was a, it was a shutdown in, in, in arguably in, in fact, but, but not in effect um, because they got it fixed uh, within hours. We could see that again. I don't, but, but what we did back then was basically make the major out agree on the major outlines for what we have to do this week. Uh, the the problem has been the the add-ons that people want to do, uh, and that's what they've been arguing about. Should there be something relating to Obamacare and abortion, for example? Should there be something on the DACA fix and the border wall? And there's a there's a tax provision. Uh, <laughs> dealing with agriculture that, that there's a, a desire to fix. It, it, it seems likely that most of that stuff will fall away and we'll have a fairly clean measure and not have a disruption. But that takes a degree of cooperation for that to occur and also for, for both sides to think, well, politically, how much do we want to risk another, quote, shutdown, even if it's for a few hours or a day or two on the weekend? I'm guessing there won't be one, but, you know, we <laughs> up, up on Capitol Hill, there are people who don't know because Correct. it's a fragile prospect, a fragile process, and one or two people who get get angry or a president who decides – to weigh in and and show his anger about something else or even change the subject because he doesn't like what is being talked about. Um, you, you could have a little mini blow up. It's, I don't see it being a, any kind of a lengthy shutdown. I'm guessing there won't be one at all, but here's my it, concern, it, though. It, it could be you actually point out the weather, the weather oddly could, could, have an impact because they don't have a lot right. of time. And if they can't get to their offices tomorrow, that, that could be a good thing. That could be yeah. a good thing, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I don't know. But here's my problem. Here, here's my problem. And, and Admiral Ken, you know, there was a time I remember back in uh, 90, I, I believe it would have been like 95 or 96 when, uh, or could, actually, no, it would have been even 90, 98, the government shut down under Clinton in his last year. You know, it was that was a big deal, and that was major headlines. And the government just does not shut down, and and this will never happen again in our lifetime. It seems that we've come full circle, and we're just kind of like, oh, it's a government shutdown. We yawn now at the boredom of the possibility of our government shutting down operations. I, I, I mean, it, it's almost like now it's it's just. It's become just a boring political tool. Is that good for America? Well, of course not. And uh, so two things. Uh, one, um, the reason that you're having so many government shutdowns uh, is due to the inability for Congress to do their job and uh, come up with a budget that will allow the federal government to run for more than a few weeks at a time. 
Um, I don't know of a you know everybody wants to talk about uh, America running like a corporation. Oh, by the way, I don't think that's ever going to happen because if you ever read the Constitution, there's no way that's ever going to happen. But 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 if if you wanted it to happen or if you thought that it could, the expectation that any company could run for a few weeks uh, on its budget and then have to go back and figure out what they're going to do and whether they're going to keep the doors open for another few weeks, that company would go out of business very quickly. Um, the 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 other part of this that that I think we're seeing it so much. Um, and the reason by th- that through your uh, uh, description that it's just, oh, oh yawn, it's another government shutdown, is because the country hasn't been made to feel any consequences of this bad behavior. You know, If you're a parent, you understand that the way to arrest bad behavior from, uh, from the people in your household, be their children or other adults, is for them to create some consequences for the bad behavior. There are none. You, you know the, the last one, that thing that that, that Alan described is a is a, almost a non-event. What happened? They had a government shutdown. A few people anticipated it and went out and played golf. But you know by the time they put their clubs down, uh, the doors were back open, and they were going back to work. Um, major major organizations like the U.S. military did not cease to function. Homeland Security was still keeping us safe. You know none of the bad guys got in, thankfully. Um, regular the regular course of our lives uh, went uh, went along, and in some people's minds, I'm sure they were thinking, "Well, gosh, they had a shutdown. I didn't feel anything. So what? Let them do it again. Big deal." And that's just not good. Alan Moore, is is this type of uh, is is this type of desensitizing to something as big as a government shutdown? Uh, dangerous for our economy or just creating more empathy in the way Americans look at the way they're governed? Well, sadly, because as Ken points out, you know, we've had really short ones without much, without much disruption. Uh, People forget how potentially disruptive and dangerous these things can, can be. Um, It's a dumb way to run to run government, but it, 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 it as Ken also it, it points out, it it speaks to the time. It speaks to the great divide um, in uh, in in the country, in the Congress, um, and uh, uh, and the power of, a, of of small handfuls of people. Um, it's it's you. It's been the the small handfuls of. Republicans that have been the most disruptive, but the Democrats have have the capacity and have some history <laughs> of being able to muck stuff up too. Um, and uh, so, so what is unfortunate about it is how much it drains energy from the 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 people who are charged with making things happen. Um, they're, they're they're worrying about this and shutdowns and and playing chicken and holding out for this point or that point, this issue or that issue, and it it works against the need to get ahead of the game, be cooperative, be willing to compromise, have an annual spending process that we only have to do once, not three or four times um, and and 
it sadly is where we are. Interestingly, when we set this date up, um, we we did uh, put in place a, a, a somewhat controversial uh, maneuver to take care of the debt limit for a couple of years into the future. That was pretty remarkable because because that one, if we if we don't have the ability to continue to borrow money because we've reached the the legislatively allowed ceiling on federal borrowing, that really does create potential problems. And because uh, you can't you can't pay people, and the the credit the full faith and credit of the United States government comes into question. And if that happens, you can you can increase interest rates. Even a tenth of a percent means tens of billions of dollars over over a period of years. That is very damaging. Um, that's not to make light of uh, of a government shutdown. That's serious stuff too. Should never should should never happen. It should be a very very big deal. And as has been pointed out, it's become a little bit routine. That's not healthy. Uh, Sharmila, I, I mean, how does Congress or, you know, I, I would say the administration, hopefully, but I think I'm reaching for the moon on that one. But when does government start realizing that, you know, instead of using government shutdown and the shutdown of services to the general public as a political pawn, that, that they start looking at it and saying, hey, look, th- these actions have consequences. It seems that they're almost numb to the consequences. Well, I don't even think that it's it's their numb. One thing that you know I wanted to point out when Ellen was speaking is that it's not just that the politicians have sort of irresponsibly started using, you know, the hostage technique to hold up legislation, you know, holding up government funding or holding up any legislation over one sort of very specific provision, but it's that the electorate in a lot of these places has come to expect it and now they want it. Right? Politicians has, have advertised this, this method as a way of getting things done and have, have sort of ridden on the back of using these techniques as proof that they are the ultimate purist, that they are the only, the true conservative or the true progressive, right? Because they're willing to gum up the works for this one specific um, policy or this one specific, uh, you know, clause or I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but this, this one specific value, and, and voters now want that, right? They want someone who – they see that as a positive, someone who's going to stand up and say, you know, no funding for, for the government until there is no more abortion in America or no funding for, you know, any of these government programs until every single DACA, you know, uh, recipient has full, you know, legal status in the U.S. So we've come to a point where both poli- – like – Politicians started this mess by, you know, trying to earn political points by staking out these extreme positions, and now they're reaping what they sowed because now voters have come to expect it, and sometimes they demand it. So until you have kind of a sustained voter education campaign, and again, this might need to be spearheaded by politicians, but until you have sort of a sustained voter movement of you know, realizing that compromise is the best way forward and compromise is the only way that we can get things done, then I think you're going to see this, this cycle play out over and over again. Right. So let's, and let's to Charles, of- 
Yeah, go ahead, Admiral. Go ahead. Go ahead. And to Sharmo's point, even as late as this week, you know, there there are folks that are talking about uh, putting a protect Mueller rider on the uh, on the, uh, the the continuing resolution to fund the government. I mean, I, I mean, if there was ever a more divisive topic uh, to, to put on something like that, I can't think of one for right now. Really? Okay, that's, that's interesting. Hey, you know the. Um, I want to take a look real quick because we've only got about 15 minutes left in the show. I want to take a look at that special election that happened in Pennsylvania's 18th district last week. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, this is a Republican district just south and east and west of the Pittsburgh area in a uh, affluent part of suburban Pittsburgh and a very rural part, uh, including uh, consists of about three counties. Four counties overall in that uh, jurisdiction, the or in that district rather. So the bottom line is, a Trump had won that district by greater than twenty percent in the twenty sixteen election. It was largely looked at as a lock for Republicans, but in a surprise to some, not a surprise to others. The Democrat, Connor Lamb, a, uh, a veteran and a former district attorney in the area, beat the uh, Republican state legislator, uh, Rick Sacom, and beat him in a very tight, tight, tight margin. I think it was less than – Alan Moore, check my numbers on this. It was definitely less than 600 votes, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was 641. <laughs> it was for, oh darn it! I go on the low side. That's why I always lose the over unders. <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, I, I want to make sure that we have um, uh, accuracy in that. But it, it it does have, and here's the other thing about it is it's a race that is going to elect in a special election somebody who's basically going to only serve for maybe eight months. That being said. Uh, Sharma, why was that such an important race for a seat that's basically going to be dissolved and go away? I mean, to be, I, I will defy Democratic orthodoxy. I don't think it was that important. I think it was symbolically important, right? It gives Democrats a lot of momentum you, going whoa, into. You don't, Sharma, you do not think that that race was that important to Democrats or in particular Democrats? Well, okay, so so again, this is what I'm saying. I don't think in the in the scale of governing, and you know the impact that Connor Lamb is going to have on on legislation and, and the U.S. Congress, I don't think it's that important. But I do think it's important when you think about uh, that it's giving a lot of momentum to Democrats, and it's you know encouraging grassroots activists. It's sort of building up. You know, it's probably putting a, little, a good bit of fear into the Republicans. And so, yeah, it, it was important in a lot of symbolic ways. But I think that, you know, again, the Democrats, the perfect storm was working in favor of the Democrats. You had an unusually good candidate, telegenic, handsome, Harvard-educated, veteran, federal prosecutor, right? He hits a lot of conservative notes. Plus, he did not run on a typical Democratic platform. He did not cast himself as a super progressive. In fact, he was much more center left. He's, you know, kind of rode this line of pro-choice voting, but pro-life personally. Uh, and, you know, so I guess he's not going to have an abortion anytime soon. Um, you know, and, you know, very pro-Second Amendment rights. 
So, and you had an unusually bad Republican opponent, you know, someone who was not well-spoken, not charismatic, didn't really have a lot of accomplishments going for him. He got kind of a milquetoast endorsement from the president and the vice president, but you could tell that their hearts weren't really in it. So, and I think that there was still, a, you know, maybe the lingering scandal of Tim Murphy, the you know, Republican whose seat was vacated, also might have played a part, but I don't really think it did. So you had kind of all these really unique factors, you know, uh, going for the Democrats in this case. So I think that, again, while this is going to be a boost for Democrats in terms of morale and certainly in terms of fundraising, because you can't deny that the amount of money the D-trip threw into this race to blitz the media with ads uh, and to, to buy organizers and to get people on the ground obviously helped a lot. So you're going to get a big boost in terms of morale and fundraising, but I think that that's sort of the extent of this victory. Uh, Admiral Ken, which is the bigger story, the, the win for the Democrat or the loss of the Republican? Um, I, I'd say it's probably the loss of the Republican. You know, you've got, you've got arguably over 30. I think last count, and Alan, you're the fact check on this. I want to say 32 uh, Republicans that have decided that they're going to – congressmen and senators who have decided that they're not coming back. Uh, this is the third race that was billed as something uh, to watch. You had the Virginia governor's race. You had the, uh, the senatorial race down in Alabama, and, and, and now this one in Pennsylvania. Uh, in each one of those, you had President Trump coming out and going to those places to um, um, to, to uh, have campaign support rallies. He voiced his support. What I thought was really, really laughable, just I mean, I just I, I really I did a, a, an out loud out loud guffaw was the morning after the race was over when Trump and uh, a number of the other Republicans tried to claim this, this, this young man, this young Democrat in Pennsylvania is, is one of their own, saying he was more like them. I laughed my head off. I went, you know, <laughs> is, is, there no, is there no bar that is too low for this guy to try and limbo under? I, I, just, I, I just couldn't believe it. But I think the bigger issue is that it was a loss of the Republicans, and at some point the people in, in our party, Justin, need to get some smelling sauce salt and, and wake up and, and realize that there's a wave coming and it's not red it's blue alan alan moore does rick succumb win pennsylvania 18 special election if he loses the porn stash it, <laughs> I, I didn't know he had a porn stash but but uh, you had to look really close. It was a very yeah. light stash. It was very awkward. But yeah, uh, when I'll defer to you as the porn expert. But but it it seems to me that this way I I completely agree with Sharmila on this one. And we and it's pretty much what we said last week when we didn't know what the outcome was. We were expecting it to be close, and we were expecting it to be close because. The Democrats had a had a very attractive candidate. The Republicans had a had a singularly unattractive candidate on the heels of somebody who had to step down in disgrace. And this national momentum that has popped up now several times, as Ken was mentioning, and and not least of all in the statewide elections in Virginia. So 
it 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 was the, the the tsunami in Virginia was in the in the legislature um, uh, of Virginia that that really was not foreseen. It, it was uh, it was the scariest thing of this whole season. The you know the Alabama race was unusual because the Republican was such a disaster. Pennsylvania race. The guy wasn't a disaster. He was weak, and the opponent was attractive. But it, it would have only been really newsworthy if Saccone, the Republican, had wiped out the attractive new guy, or if the new guy had beaten uh, Saccone by ten points or something. But but Trump won by twenty points, so they closed that. It's a handful of votes. The the redistricting is is going to require uh, new outlines, which is was the point about he will serve only eight months. It's just one more wake up call. It's daily wake up calls, weekly wake up right. calls for Republicans, right. which is some of them have gotten those calls and and have said, you know something, I think it's time to find something else to do. So right. I, and, and well, Ken, I wish I had that number for you. But it, it's it's up in the neighborhood that you were talking about in the high twenties, I think, of folks. No, who it's actually over simply 30. decided it's, actually, it's time to hang it up. It is actually over thirty. Uh, but with that, I'm gonna be that be the last word. What we do want to do is we want to go. It's a segment we started a couple of weeks ago because one, it's fun, and two, I'm the moderator and I enjoy it. It's the it is the Trump administration Deadpool. Who is going to be fired and who is going to resign? Who's basically leaving the administration this week? We try and predict because it's, nobody can predict. As Alan pointed out earlier, it's impossible to get in this guy's head. But we do the best we can to see who might be next. Joining us and the administrator of this Deadpool is our associate producer who is in Northwest Washington, D.C. right now, uh, Audrey Howerton. Audrey, welcome back to the show. Hello, everybody. And Audrey, Hello, Audrey. last last week uh, we had everybody picked. Could you do you have everybody's picks written down? Not in front of me because you know you guys talk a lot and there's just so much to sift through. But I can tell you that nobody did in fact pick McCabe. Okay, okay. So nobody picked McCabe. So this week we're going to start keeping track and we are going to post <laughs> who is picking who. So we're going to go around the horn here uh, for uh, the – now, this is going forward, so nobody picked correctly last week, so we're, we're now quadrupling down. None of us have picked in the four weeks we've been doing this. I want to start with Sharmila Chari. Sharmila, who do you think is going to be the next to leave the Trump administration? This is a tough one, um, but I'm going to go – I'm going to steal Alan's choice and go with H.R. McMaster. Okay. Alan Moore, since she kind of uh, she kind of so blocked no, me on that there, one. There's no there's there's no carryovers, I guess. It, it's sort of like in fantasy, you can't keep your old team. Um, no, because I no. I think it'll be McMaster. But I'll I'll take I'll take uh, uh, our veterans uh, administrator. Um, Shulkin, Doctor Shulkin. Who, yes. Okay. That would have been my second Doctor. choice. And go ahead, go ahead, uh, Admiral Ken. Who do you think will be the next to lose their job? Well, since 
since um, uh, Attorney General Sessions probably bought himself another month or so with the McCabe uh, uh, firing, and uh, and you know that's what that was about. Uh, and since uh, NSA uh, National Security Advisor has been taken, um, and uh, Shulkin's been taken, that leaves us with uh, uh, the, the heart surgeon. Dr. Ben Carson, the Secretary of Dr. Housing Carson. and Urban Development. Dr. Carson, okay. I, I would love, I would love to, I would, I would love to support my brother, but he's got to go. He's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say because uh, I, I'm going to pick uh, all the good ones are taken. You know what? I'm going to stand by. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos, after that horrendous showing on 60 Minutes a couple weeks ago, and the continued baffles and plus she just got hammered on a lampoon by uh, Saturday Night Live so I'm going with Betsy DeVos uh, Associate Producer Audrey Howerton do you have that listing? I do and I will keep and that going we'll, forward and we will be posting that on our Facebook page and on our Twitter handle if I correct you are does our producer, okay. does our producer want to get in on the pool? Uh, that's not her job uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she can though if she wants. No, no, no. She she has to be an unbiased. She's the judge of this. She has to stay unbiased. We're, That's her role. We're, we're even if we're biased or unbiased, it's not going to make any difference, right? But anyway, oh, fair enough. I'm just trying to <laughs> give her a little little sense, a little experience. That sense of exhilaration to put your bracket together, right, and see how it works out. That's right. Hey, That's Justin, right. I, I, don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you uh, you mentioned it or not, and I apologize if if I'm if I'm uh, double dipping here. But if you didn't watch last Saturday's episode of Saturday Night Live, possibly one of the best ones in uh, in, in in a number of months. It was it was fabulous. <laughs> Oh, that's very good. Well, thank you. Now, now that now that Admiral Ken has become our TV critic for backroom politics. Uh, it was actually very good. Admiral Ken is correct on that. But since we cannot continue on forever as much as we'd like to, this is the part of the show where I say on behalf of Sharma Achari, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Caradine, uh, Dan Lipner, Esquire, and our associate producer. Hey, you know what? I got to do this. I, so we've gotten a lot of, I've gotten a couple of texts and a couple of emails. Alan Moore, I have to ask you this question. There is a bet out in Washington of people asking, when you are not speaking, it sounds like this is a bet. Are you, A, rearranging your CD collection, B, typing a manuscript for a or C, rearranging your sock drawer? Or, or what, C, what was the last one? Rearranging your sock drawer. So that sounds like a, a pretty quiet enterprise, right? CD collection yeah, I, I, I don't these really are, have. These are, the, these are the texts that I get from people asking, what is Alan doing in his office when he does call-in shows? <laughs> well, curiously, usually I don't, I'm not doing anything. Today, I will confess, I was uh, sorting some papers. Okay, there it is. Sorting papers is the winner. Nobody wins that bet either. And thank you for clarifying. <laughs> anyway, that being said, uh, on behalf again of uh, Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, Sharma Achari, 
Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and our associate producer, Audrey Harrington. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday with the best political talk show you've never heard of. Hey, by the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio. And you can also follow us on our new website, www.backroompolitics.org. That is the central hub for everything you want to know about backroom politics. We'll be back again next Tuesday here on Blog Talk Radio Live from the National Cap Region. Have a great week, America. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.